chapter on the Middle East, Al Monitor's podcast on the big stories in the region. My name is Ambrin Zaman, and I am Chief Correspondent of Al Monitor based in London. The world's attention is seized by the horrific developments in Israel and the Gaza Strip, prompted by Saturday's unprecedented attack by Hamas militants. Against this backdrop, I will be examining the plight of Elizabeth Tsurkov, a Russian-Israeli doctoral student at Princeton University who was carrying out research in Iraq for her thesis when she was kidnapped by an Iraqi Shiite militia group in March. The reasons for her abduction remain unknown. Tsurkov is widely known in the Levant for her deep knowledge of Syria as well as of Iraq and her passionate advocacy on behalf of vulnerable communities, regardless of their ethnicity and faith. The US State Department has been trying to secure Tsurkov's release and is believed to have asked Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani for his help. With us here to discuss the latest developments is Emma Tsurkov, a lawyer and scholar at Stanford University in San Francisco, and who happens to be Elizabeth's sister. Welcome to our program, Emma. Thank you for having me. Emma, could you kindly tell us what the latest is with regard to Elizabeth's situation? What do we know of her whereabouts, of her health, and who might be holding her? So we we know is that she is um, in Iraq, we know that she is alive, but other than that, we don't know much. And that is deeply concerning and distressing, given how much time has passed since she was uh, kidnapped. We also know that Hezbollah KH is the organization that holds her. And if I may ask you, how do you know that she's still alive? And thank God she's still alive. So I've been told by multiple authorities from different sources that she is in fact alive and then I have no reason. And I, I'm certain they would not inform me of her being alive if it was not true. So at this time, what sort of effort is being deployed to get Elizabeth out? Are there any governments that are acting on her behalf? If so, what, if any, progress are you aware of that's been made in terms of getting Elizabeth back? So the main progress has been um, with, between the U.S. State Department and the Iraq government. But with all the progress being made, that's still not enough progress. The main progress has been that when the Iraqi prime minister was in New York for the UN General Assembly in September, so he was asked about my sister. You can also see that he was interviewed for the New York Times, where he was asked again about my sister. I'll clarify that. The Iraqi Prime Minister was in the U.S. in part to encourage foreign investment in Iraq, in infrastructure and other projects in Iraq, which obviously raises a concern of how could 
how could there be international investment or investment in infrastructure if the country lacks the basic ability to secure the safety of people walking down the street in the middle of, in broad daylight, in the middle of Baghdad. My sister was kidnapped from Karada. It's a bustling neighborhood with a lot of Westerners there. It's considered very safe. There is a camera monitored by the Iraqi police on every street corner. So the fact that my sister got kidnapped there in broad daylight uh, to me is a sign of a serious lack of security uh, on on the side of the Iraqi government. Um, so, so far, it, it seems like the Iraqi government admits that um, my sister's kidnapping is a challenge to their security forces, but that is obviously a wholly unsatisfactory answer uh, to me uh, because the Iraqi government can and should do more. We know that the uh, Iraqi Prime Minister, part of his governing coalition, are the members of the Iraqi Parliament from the Hukuk Party, which is part of KH. They don't hide it. It's not a secret. Uh, KH is not some elusive terrorist organization that's hiding in some rural area and it's hard to reach. Now they're walking around the halls of power in Baghdad and therefore I just don't buy the argument that the Iraqi prime minister can do more to address the fact that his coalition partners are a terrorist group who behave like a terrorist group. You can see it clearly with all the veneer of being part of the, of having a political party and being integrated into the Iraqi armed forces through the popular mobilization forces, KH still, still behaves like a terror or a terrorist organization. An innocent woman, eight days after she had she has had back surgery, is a pure move by a terrorist organization. Well, of course, this in turn begs the question of how much real power the Iraqi prime minister has and to what extent Iran may be part of this calculus. Do you believe that Iran is somehow involved in the decision to kidnap her? Or do you believe this was an independent act committed by KH Kataywal Hezbollah? And if so, in either case, what do you believe was the motive? So I would say that generally I'm not an expert on the Middle East. I'm like my sister. And sadly, if she... She was not kidnapped, and actually the same thing was told to me by people in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee said, if my sister was not kidnapped, she's exactly the person they would contact to explain this situation. So I don't know to what degree Iran is involved. I don't want to speculate because it's definitely not my field of expertise. But I would say that Clearly, there was enough agency for KH to decide to kidnap her and to keep her in Iraq at this time. So I, I simply do not accept the answers that the Iraqi government can't do anything, in part because we know that they can. For example, and uh, just uh, this uh, last February, 
And there was an Iraqi national who works for an American organization, environmental activist. And his name is Jassim al-Assadi. He was kidnapped by KH. And then the Iraqi prime minister got pressure to intervene and get him released. And within two weeks, he was home without a ransom being paid and unharmed. So that to me tells me that the Iraqi prime minister wants to get someone out of KH captivity. He knows who to call. I simply do not accept the, the claims that somehow the Iraqi government claims that it's a sovereign state that's worthy of international investment uh, and receives massive amounts of U.S. aid, both humanitarian and military assistance, and somehow they can't do anything to find where a researcher from a U.S. university got kidnapped. That's just the five logic to me. Well, of course, the fact that she is an Israeli citizen clearly makes everything a lot more complicated, as does the fact that she's not a resident, per se, a green card holder in the United States. Therefore, any action taken by the U.S. is more compassionate than rooted in any kind of legal responsibility. At the same time, the fact that Israel has no relations with the Iraqi government, obviously, makes things very hard as well. Given what's just happened in in, in Israel. Actually, can I, sorry, can I just say something real quick? So of course. My sister, of course. So my sister uh, is not a U.S. citizen, and she's not a legal permanent resident, although I am. And But she's a U.S. person, which is a category, and a legal category. And she does have strong ties uh, to the U.S., and she's a resident of the state of New Jersey, and she was in Iraq doing research for her dissertation for a U.S. institution. So it's not, uh, I would say it's not accurate to say that anything the U.S. does is purely a matter of compassion. It's a matter of obligation to scholars that come from the entire world to study in the U.S., and that's part of the point of pride of American institutions of higher education, the fact that they attract the best and brightest from all around the world to come to the U.S. and study. And my sister is really the embodiment of that ideal. She is brilliant and really uniquely insightful person who studies the Middle East in a way that very few do. And that's why she she came to Princeton to do her dissertation there. So there is definitely an application for the U.S. from my sister's side and also from the other side of things through the funding of the Iraqi government and KH. The U.S. is not just the place where my sister lives. And it's attending graduate school. The U.S. is also the biggest aid contributor to the Iraqi government. And through the Iraqi government, through KH, this terrorist organization, through the Popular Mobilization Forces, the U.S. military aid goes 
into the Iraqi Armed Forces. And KH is part of an organization, the PMS, the Popular Mobilization Forces. It's made up of different militias, but KH is the most prominent one in there. And there are three brigades of the PMF, which are staffed by KH people who are on the government payroll. They have government pensions. So the idea that somehow anything the U.S. does is purely kind of a, a compassionate act, I would say is a kind of understatement of the U.S. obligation uh, to my sister. Well, you're a lawyer, and so I'm not going to challenge you on that. <laughs> but to get back to my original question, how much more complicated do you think the situation is now as a result of what just happened this weekend in Israel? So... Obviously, any additional conflict makes everything more complicated. But like I said, the main obligation on the U.S. stand stems from its funding of KH and, and the Iraqi government, and that has not changed. Is that not changed? No, of course not. But of course, U.S. attention will be now so diverted by everything that's going on in Israel. Is that not a concern that a U.S. diplomatic energy or won't be quite as invested at this time? Yes, obviously, obviously a concern. And then, of course, as a horrifying specter of dozens and dozens of families joining the hell I have been living in for the past seven months is horrible and heartbreaking. I do want to believe that the U.S. government uh, can, is fully capable, I believe, of walking in chewing gum at the same time and is perfectly capable of continuously pressuring the Iraqi government for the Iraqi government to not feel that somehow uh, Hamas's horrific just massacre and atrocious uh, behavior is somehow like a way for the Iraq government to catch a break. No, absolutely. And of course, moving a bit to, you know, Elizabeth, the human being, the person, of course, she would be deeply horrified by everything that's going on right now. But let's also remind our audience that Elizabeth was a fierce critic of Israeli policies in Palestine, in Gaza. And, you know, for that reason, some Israelis have even sort of shown less sympathy for her plight. Elizabeth, of course, is known to me personally. We've worked together on stories, one in which uh, people who were innocent ended up being freed from a, a Syrian prison as a result of that reporting. I very much hope that, that, that Elizabeth will be freed very, very soon. Do you have any final thoughts, any final messages for our audience and for whoever else might, you know, be listening in positions of power and influence? Um, yes, my my sister is a kind, lovely, sweet, generous person. She is truly the embodiment of wanting to believe you can the good of people. She really 
it's really hard, heartbreaking uh, for me to think that she is what she's been going through and how long it has been going through and all the hardship uh, she's suffering because she's truly such a kind and a generous person. And this, her kidnapping and then generally this idea that someone who is so committed to human rights, an activist who has truly, she didn't just talk the talk, she walked the walk. She did so much for other people, regardless of their religion or ethnicity or nationality. And the fact that she got kidnapped purely because of the fact that she's she's Jewish or Israeli is just, to me, heartbreaking. That is something that really threatens my hope and the and the good in people, and that anything that one can do could change this tribal view of, of by other people. This idea that despite being such a committed human rights activist and repeatedly saying that uh, when she was doing her uh, film work and with that, she always said how much hope she has for Iraq and the Iraqi people, um, what a young country it is, how much potential it has, and the fact that Iraqis are so welcoming and the fact that she she got kidnapped when she's at her most weakest state because she had uh, back surgery just before being kidnapped, that to me is just the opposite of everything she said about Iraq and is unfortunately just providing ammunition to people who want to paint Islam as a violent religion which I don't want to believe is true. And my sister certainly does not. No, but... of course not. But the sad fact is that, you know, if she went in with such good faith, the conviction that the person she was would trump, you know, her ethnicity, her faith, and that people wouldn't uh, hold that against her. And that proved wrong in the end. And of course, some people say she was you know, naive, and she should have not gone in that last time. There's a kind of victim shaming, blaming that kind of is going on at the same time. What would your response to that be? Do you think your sister made a mistake? I think that generally all forms of victim blaming are just horrific. Victims are never, never, never at fault for what is done to them. That is true in instances of terrorism. That is true of instances of gender-based violence. That is true of any other type of violence there is. Victims are never at fault. It's the perpetrator's fault, period, full stop. And Senator Diaz, that somehow she, whatever perceived maps of judgment she had made is what punishable by being held captive by a terrorist organization while recovering from spinal surgery. I just fully just reject that notion. I also think that this is not at all a productive way 
to think of uh, to, to think about the way people act uh, because my sister uh, went into Iraq to do research for her dissertation and it was rooted in the very clear understanding that good research needs to be done on the ground that the idea that someone can study the Middle East from above just reading stuff online is just not she just rejected that as a way to truly understand people. And because of that, her research is so immensely valuable and pathbreaking because she went to meet the people who are impacted by sectarianism and the Middle East, which is the subject of her dissertation. And importantly, she also talked uh, to many women who often get completely omitted from any research on the Middle East as if women are not half the population and the half of the population that frankly gets impacted very directly uh, by the different regimes um, under which uh, they live in the Middle East. So she is someone who is committed to good, honest research, and that's why she went to Iraq. So I just reject the fact that somehow uh, this is all her fault. It is squarely KH's fault. And any day she's still there is the Iraqi government's fault. Right. And and Princeton was fully aware of her activities. Yes. As I've acknowledged that her uh, uh, that she was in Baghdad uh, to do uh, research for her dissertation. So this wasn't she wasn't there doing some I don't know, joyriding around. No, not sure was there. Anyone who knows Elizabeth knows that that's the last thing she would be doing. And her in her spare time, when she wasn't doing all that research, she was trying to help ordinary people. We all know that. And we do hope that she gets out, you know, as soon as possible. Emma, thank you for taking the time at this very difficult moment for you personally and for your country, Israel, and very much hoping that, you know, I'll be talking to Elizabeth again on this podcast as I did several years ago. She was my first guest. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I really hope so too. And this brings us to the end of this week's episode of On the Middle East. We hope that Elizabeth will be freed and that the latest wave of violence in the Middle East will end as soon as possible. Thank you and goodbye.